0: Welcome to My Public Life as an American Nerd. I am your host, David K. Montoya. All right, gang. We are back for another week, and we're going to dive into more comic news. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm not my usual jovial self. I'm just, I'm tired and, and grumpy, and hopefully, you know, sometimes when real-life situations just, Tend to make me grumpy, and there's nothing I can do about it. Um, you know, sometimes sitting down and recording and, and talking, just being a nerd, really helps. So hopefully, by the end of this show, I'll be in a better mood because right now I'm just not in a, a great mood. And one of the things that I'm I just get so frustrated, especially with lately, is that I want to present comic book movies cartoons uh animated movies you know i want to present them as what they are they're they're forms of entertainment nerd entertainment i'm not interested in one political movement one hidden agenda one forced ag- i don't care about that and the articles that are coming out recently, you know, especially with all the the news feeds that I follow, it's it's articles to start debate. Well, not even to to debate, it's more like they're they're putting that out there to start a fight. And nerd culture should not fight each other. It's it's just weird. I mean, nerd culture, you're supposed to be part of the nerd culture. You're supposed to be, you know, a passive. And, you know, I, I'm I'm going through and I'm looking at some of these and, and you know, they, they have the relevant, you know, most relevant uh, comments. And, and some of them are just straight out nasty and rude and crude. And I'm like, how are these people comic book fans? How are these people nerds when they're being so aggressive? You know, to me, it's more like trolling and so i skip it and that's why there's some certain topics that i do not cover because of the controversy behind it because i'm not interested in the controversy you know like right now and i, I will bring this to to forefront because i'm using it as an example is that there's this big thing about elizabeth banks talking about why the uh, charlies angels reboot tanked its a bof- box office is because men are scared of Strong female characters, which is, is just absolutely ridiculous because, you know, I, I think of, well, Terminator, Terminator has always been a strong, you know, Sarah Connor has been the, the leading force behind it. Um, aliens, you know, um, there's characters in, the geekdom world that are female that are strong and female leads so when you present that out forward to the public you're you're trying to instigate a fight and i'm just not interested in that i want to present to you the fun stuff if you're interested in, in gossip and dirty talk and you know who did this and what did this and and how horrible this person is to work with then this is not the podcast for you now once in a while i will inter- intermittently you know subject my personal thoughts on a matter but that's it it's my personal thought and i just i cover it i go on and that's it i don't harp on it for an hour so that is very frustrating to me especially when i'm looking for content to work with and it's it's just something that's becoming more and more difficult and I'm I'm hoping as we come to the conclusion of season 3 as I see the end of it very closely um I hope when I come back in season 4 all this you know agenda driven nonsense is gone and we can get into the heart of geekdom and enjoy the the real meat and potatoes of why we're nerds the characters it's all about the characters, whether it be comic books, cartoons, or movies, or even the toy situation, it's about the characters. It's not about a person's political agenda. People don't follow the X-Men because of the political agenda. Well, if you are, you're 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 following it for the wrong reasons. Because a nerd is that is they're a nerd. You know, it's a stereotypical nerd, comic book nerd. And while there's been representation claims of you know what the x men stand for, whether it be for the l b g q plus or it be for the african American minority um when I read the x men at ten years old at the very first time, it was just the the superhero saving the day, and that's what I fell in love with. I could care less what you're trying to pump into my entertainment as long as you keep it that entertaining and you don't shove it in people's face because you, you get turned off. I mean, look at the entertainment system. And yes, I know I'm going on a rant for six minutes, but if you look at the whole entertainment industry as a general, it, it is not as strong as it used to. Number one, they're pumping half a billion dollars into each mega movie, which is absolutely insane. Right? Right it is it's insane because you've got to pay these people what 175 million dollars just to come in and, and make pretend and, and be convincing that you you know it just it it's becoming too much and i'm I'm glad that we are coming to the end of season three because it's really tough for me right now and um, I don't know if I, I think maybe we're at 20 Three, 22, 23 episodes, I think. So we may be going in one or two more episodes for the for the year, and then I'll be back later in 2020, probably after PCE, because I really, really need to focus more attention, which is crazy because I focus so much on it already. Um, but I need to focus even more attention on PCE to to make it happen. In fact, you know, I haven't even – Officially started working on the Hall of Fame yet just because I've been so busy trying to find vendors. And, and that's another thing that, and I apologize, I know I'm going on a rant, is it's frustrating for me because I have a vision and I'm not trying to turn a buck. I'm not trying to become a millionaire. I'm not trying to become rich. I'm trying to present something to the audience here and where I live, the high desert. And I am renting a place and for me to throw PCE right now is somewhere around $10,000. So I've got to figure out, you know, how many vendors I can stick into the the High Desert Toyota Pavilion and how much will cost and then that way I can figure out how much tickets are and how many people and and that's not even to turn a profit that's just to pay for what's happening and it's very frustrating because i've talked to a lot of people lately that are like oh yeah i'm all about community i'm all about helping this is great this is something cool because it's never been done before and that's it and i don't hear from them and it's very frustrating and I, I guess it's just the, I'm having a rough day. I don't know. I, I'm just – it's – I've ranted for almost 10 minutes, and I'm sorry, folks. I know I don't usually rant this long, but I've got a lot of things that, that's been bugging me lately, and I don't have a physical outlet. I I don't have someone that I can sit down and talk to and – look eye to eye and say, these are the things that bug me. So when, when they build up like this, they, they kind of just overflow into the podcast. And I do sincerely apologize, but I believe it or not, I actually feel kind of better um, with, with life, I guess it's just, it's, it's just been one of those days. All right, gang. Um, <laughs> as we're moving into 10 minutes, I do have content for this week. And it's, it's safe content, like I said before. I want – if you want to contact me and we, you want to debate or talk about the things I talk about, I want to talk about it on the comic nerd level, on the movie nerd level, on the cartoon nerd level. I don't want to talk about, well, this representation is actually – the I don't care. I care that Batman is Batman. He's the Dark Knight, the greatest detective of all. You know, I, that's – That's all I care about. That's sincerely all I care about is the characters and what they are, what the storyline is. You know, I, I just, I'm rambling again. All right. Since I brought up Batman, let's go ahead and jump into Batman. And it says, Batman reveals the Hall of Justice biggest secret. And I was like, okay, well, I, you know, I think back to the Super Friends, you know, you know, back where it was like, back at the Hall of Justice, you know, Aqualad is talking with Kid Flash, you know, that kind of thing. Anyway, so I really didn't think much of it, but I was like, oh, OK, let's, let's, you know, it, it seems OK. So and when I scrolled down and I was looking at this before we started recording, I was very happy because I like Scott Snyder as a writer for Batman. Um I think I read like one Scott Snyder outside of Batman that just didn't feel right, but I think he really understands the character of Bruce Wayne, Batman the best right now on the market. So I was happy to find out that he's actually writing this, uh, this series and it is, of course, I got to put in the obligatory warning warning. The following content spoils for justice league. Number 36 by Scott Snyder, Francis Monopoul, Howard Porter, Hi-Fi and Tom Napoliano now on sale. So let's find out what the biggest secret is for the Hall of Justice. Back at the Hall of Justice? No, never mind. I'm annoying myself. <laughs> it says, at the start of writer Scott Snyder's run on Justice League, the Reassurgent team revamped its iconic headquarters, the Hall of Justice. With each of the core members having quarter reflections, his or her sensibility, however, the overall faculty design and funded by Bruce Wayne, the Dark Knight loaded the building with plenty of secrets to help the more clandestine elements of the team's mission, largely unknown to his teammates. Well, of course, that's Batman. Of course he's going to do that you know he's he's got a you know he he's got a dossier on how to beat every single member of the Justice League so that doesn't surprise me at all to be honest with you it says previously batman revealed to have constructed a remote batcave beneath the Hall of Justice in Washington DC to continue his obsessive endeavors when away from Gotham City the batcave also possesses A secret prison that housed the Batman who laughs before his escape. Hmm, okay. Interesting. It says, however, as the odds are increasingly stacked against the Justice League by the ominous villain Petrua and the upgraded Legion of Doom, Batman revealed one final feature he secretly installed within the Hall of Justice in the event that was. Ever directly attacked, and this confidential upgrade is one that matched the Hall of Doom's own recent unveiled capabilities. Hmm. Lex Luthor revealed that the Hall of Doom can transform into a flying warship with a metallic tentacle enlarging from its like one of Brainiac ships. As Lex leads the Legion on a final charge against the Hall of Justice, And the assembled superheroes from across the DC multiverse, Batman divulges that the headquarters can seamlessly transform into a battle station and takes to the cockpit to face the Legion of Doom before the epic final confrontation for the fate of the DC multiverse is joined. Ooh, very nice. It is unclear what the full capabilities of the mobile Justice are, but knowing Batman, he has likely packed the battle station with an arsenal of powerful weaponry defense, defense systems to face the threats the Legion itself couldn't defeat. In a nod to the beginning of the previous issue, Batman hints that the materials helped the, to power the Justice. Transformation is made from the same extraterrestrial material as the tomb for the recently fallen Starman. In fear, within the Hall, in an alien stone that highly doable, yet lighter than air. Okay, With both the Hall of Doom and the Hall of Justice made mobile... And the heroes and villains about to do battle in the streets of Washington, Snyder's epic run makes the promise that a climactic storyline, the Justice Doom War, literal. The two fractions are seamlessly matched in every way true to form. Batman has kept many secrets about the Justice League's latest headquarters from his teammates to persuade his own agenda, while Batman's shadowy prison faculty for the Dark Universe or Dark Multiverse Doppelganger ended up backfiring on him when the evil villain escaped literally right under the League's nose without their knowledge. His final secret about the building's Offensive and mobile capabilities may be the key factor in turning the tide of battle against the Legion of Doom, just when it seems like the League is hopelessly outgunned. Very nice. All right. That that sounds good. Uh, You know, I think DC is really picking up their their storylines lately to run, you know, neck and neck. And actually, I think better than Marvel, I think at this point. See what I mean about story good story you know now you're interested right are you gonna go down and, and pick up a, a copy of Justice League uh, you yeah. know I might seriously just buy a digital copy and and start reading it because I'm interested it's good wholesome storytelling it's nostalgic back to the 1970s 1980s you know it's it's I don't know it's good good stuff okay let's take a peek at where I want to go next well since we are talking about Batman let's go ahead and talk about the joker now I've already gone on record and said that I, I when I had my sister on uh, a few weeks ago uh, you know we both seen the joker and we talked about it she loved it I didn't care for it um, it's it's It just didn't resonate towards my type of people, my age, I guess, my my level of nerdiness. Um, Because everybody's like, "Oh, there's different origins to the Joker, but it is what it is." And um, you know, it's if it's your cup of tea, I'm totally cool with it. And apparently, there a lot of people that it is their cup of tea because. The headline in this one is "Joker sequel in the works. Todd Phillips in talks to return. And that says a lot. I mean, if they're really going to bring that back, it's it's. Uh, it really resonated with a lot of people and it says update the below claims about the sequel to Joker have been disputed by another source. You can read this article as it originally appeared below. Joker may not have had the last laugh yet. Okay. It says, According to The Hollywood Reporter, director Todd Phillips is currently talking with Warner Brothers about returning for a sequel to Joker. He and Scott Silver, with whom he worked with on the original, are said to be writing a sequel, which will presumably be Joaquin Phoenix returning to the start due to options in his contract. Warner Brothers did not comment on the report. Okay. So this Hollywood Reporter is the one it broke the the news on this originally, but now it's being disputed by somebody else. All right, interesting. It says since releasing earlier this year, Joker has become the highest-grossing rated R movie of all time as well as the first movie that is that rating to gross $1 billion at Worldwide Box Office. Since the film only had a budget of around $60 million, Joker had proven immensely profitable for Warner Brothers. Although the movie garnered controversy, Joker is generally considered to be a contender for this year's Academy Awards following the win of the coveted Golden Lion at the Venice Film Festival. Directed by Tom Phillips, Joker stars Joaquin Phoenix, Robert De Niro, ZZ Beats, Bill Camps, Francis Conroy, Brett Cullen, Glenn Fleshler, Douglas Hodge, Mark Marin, Josh Paris, Shai Wil- Wilhelm. The, th- the film is now in theaters. Okay. Uh, okay. So they literally just changed it on me. It it you know because sometimes the, the web pages do that automatically update. So that literally just updated on me. <laughs> uh it's all good. It's all good. I had it saved. Uh let's see. That's alright. We can keep on moving. Keep on moving. Let's see. What do we want, kids? I've got, you know, plenty of of material to cover. Um, Let's see. Let me put that here so we don't lose that one. Make sure I've got everything covered. That would be just humiliating if I tried to cover the same topic twice, huh? Okay, how about we do this one? Crisis. One of Kingdom Come's most heinous events is part of the crossover. Okay, and let's see. It says, with less than a month until the eagerly anticipated Arrowverse television crossover event, Crisis on Infinite Earth, kicks off, the CW has released the first set of official stills, providing fans with a look at Brandon Ross' Kingdom Come Superman, both as the last son of Krypton, and Clark Kent, the unassuming editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet. As Clark stands in the halls of the iconic newspaper publisher, a prominent headline and image from the previous published story is framed behind him, announcing a terrorist gas attack on the building, resulting in a number of fatalities. The image is taken straight from the pages of 2009's Justice Society of America Kingdom Come Superman Special Number 1, written and illustrated by none other than the great Alex Ross. I put in great, just if Alex happened to be listening to this show. You're amazing. You've always been amazing. Uh, the one-shot expanded on the one of the most tragic moments from Kingdom Come that helped fuel the of stills self-imposed exile a deadly attack on the daily planet by the joker using his lethal toxic gas to kill the majority of the staff before brutally killing lois lane herself setting up the general public to embrace more existence extremist superheroes like magog i don't know who magog is sorry let's uh okay let's do something We'll jump back to to this line real fast. I need to know who Magog is. I'm probably even pronouncing it wrong. People are probably laughing at me all right ha <laughs> ha you're an idiot yeah, I am. It's okay. uh let's see magog d c and Okay, he is a fictional character in the comic book publishing by DC Comics. Generally an enemy and foil personality of Superman, his first appearance in Kingman Khan Number 1 was created by Mark Wade and Alex Ross in 2009, Magog, was ranked as IGN's 75th greatest comic book, su- comic book villain of all time. Okay, he looks like a bad old guy, doesn't he? Okay, so he's a bad guy, good guy, I guess, huh? More extreme superhero? Okay. Yeah, it's cool. It says, years before the event of Ross and Wade's, Mark Wade's, universally acclaimed elseworld story, the older clown prince of crime killed the majority of the newspaper staff in seconds while Lois Lane used gas masks she kept in her desk just in case to survive the f- initial attack. Attempting to fend off the Joker with a fire extinguisher, the villain savagely beat the reporter to death with a paperweight before her husband could arrive in time to stop him. It is one of the darker moments in the entire story, clearly haunting the superheroes from the remainder of his life. Yeah, well, yeah, that would, that would that, that's pretty damn dark. It isn't clear how much of the story, the comic book story, informs Ross' incarnation of the alternate Superman and the coming crisis, but is the most direct nod to the tale outside of the story's iconic iteration of Superman's costume. The Man of Tomorrow is the comic book's miniseries had completely left Metropolis in a disgust and grief for what had become of the world, while Arrowverse's version clearly remains an active member of society, at least in the civilized life, having taken the lead position at the vulnerable news company due to the lifelong commitment to investigate journalism and years of service. Oh, and the evident deaths of all his co-workers at the hands of a homicidal clown. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's some stuff right there. That yeah, that, that's pretty haunting. Uh, okay, let's see what else it says. It's it is similarly unclear if viewers will get a glimpse of Kingdom Come Lois Lane, perhaps through a photo or other mementos kept by Clark. Whether that Lois would be the Arrow versus Bitsy. Tulak, I believe, I prob- that's a tough name, I apologize if I screwed that up. Small Mills, Small Vills, Erica Durance, or Kate Bosworth from Superman Returns, which starred Roth as the superhero in 2006, would play Double Duty as this world's lowest. In the event that the Bosworth, it would be certainly put Superman Return in a Considerable darker light. Well, yeah, considering Superman Returns was – did you know – here's a fun fact of Superman Returns. Did you know he did not hit a single thing in that movie other than knocking the the kryptonite worldy thing into out, outer space? That is the only bit of violence that Superman did. I don't know if you knew that in that movie. I, I just eh, – just one of those silly little nerdy nitbits that I know. Having said all this, judging by the smile of Editor-in-Chief Clark Kent, things aren't all bad for the newsman. And the sudden appearance of the Arrowverse heroes to recruit him to save the entire DC TV multiverse may be just the kick in the pants the superhero needs to reclaim the mantle of Superman and save the day one last time. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that, that's, I'm actually, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know how I'm going to wing that into my, my schedule, but I am definitely going to do my best to make it happen. Um, and I'm looking at the picture that they're talking about with, you know, the, the, Attack, you know, it says Planet Daily Planet, Planet Attack. I can tell you just by looking at that artwork, that's Alex Ross artwork on the painting. That is so cool. I'm glad that they did that. And it says, Crisis on Infinite Earth begins Sunday, December 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Time on Supergirl. One continues to Batwoman on Monday. Uh, uh, Well, it says... On here, (laughs) it says December P, but I'm thinking it's December 9th at 8 p.m. Eastern and Pacific Standard Time. And then in the flash, Tuesday the 10th at 8. After the winter hiatus, the crossover will conclude on Tuesday, January 14th in Arrow at 8 p.m. And the DC's Legend of Tomorrow at 9 p.m. Okay. Okay. Anybody watch the new Batwoman? Uh, just curious. I haven't watched it. I I will eventually touch on the Baby Yoda, I think. I just haven't got there yet. Um, I have the Disney Plus. So I just haven't watched it. Okay, where do we want to go? Uh, let's do... Sonic? Uh, yeah, Sonic. Okay. Sonic redesigns cost significantly less than initially reported. I really like this version a lot better. And most people that I'm talking to, they're they're digging it too. It says, when the first trailer of Sonic the Hedgehog dropped in April, the internet had a field day with the uncanny valley design of the Cobalt Cobalt Speedster. Got tongue-tied there, kids. Their most recent trailer shows the improvement of the design, which falls more in the line of the video game icon recognizable design. But how much did those redesigns cost? <laughs> <This level. laughs> okay, here we go. I, I because I've already read this, so I already know the answers. Just the sheer amount of money that's put into it, and they're like, eh, eh. You know? <laughs> okay, here we go. Early reports estimate that the cost of the redesigned Sonic for the whole film would be around 35 million dollars. For the trailer alone, it is estimated that Paramount Pictures spent 2.15, so that's what 2,150,000 dollars, something like that, improving Sonic's design. According to IndieWire, however, the character design only cost the studio around five million. Eh, just eh five million. I know movies that were made for five million dollars. Just saying. Uh, most of the, the visual effects or VFX work wasn't complete when the first trailer dropped, saving the studio a lot of time and money when it comes to fixing the design. Most of the VFX were not finished, an unnamed source told IndieWire. The redesigning Sonic proved not to be an outrageously expensive as it would have been had all the film's VFX been done. They added, added. IndieWire claims that the source is someone who worked closely on the production of the movie, opening February 14th, a week before PCE. Director Jeff Fowler, Sonic the Hedgehog stars Ben Schwartz as Sonic, Jim Carrey as Rob, Dr. Robotnik, Jim's Maddoxon as Cyclops. No, just kidding. Not really. He was Cyclops, though, in the X-Men movie. Laugh. That was funny, people. And Natasha Rothwell. All right. So it costs $5 million to, to make it work. And, you know, to be honest with you, I think that it is a strong enough movie where they're going to make that movie. They're going to make that money back. They're going to turn a full profit. I, I, I bet you. Uh, it's just one of those things that look really, really good. And, yeah, I see it happening. Totally. And uh, especially now that Sonic actually looks like Sonic, I think that they are going to have a nice blockbuster on their hands. Okay, we're going to go into the next one. And uh, I've been doing a lot of these. I can't remember which one exactly it was. Um, just recently I announced that the, the new Scooby Scoob uh, movie was coming out. And it looked really, really good. And we talked about it and I was excited about it. And I said that I would check it out. And, of course, you know, there's just so much anger in nerd culture. There's got to be something, right? So as I was looking for content, even though I, I, I just I, – I, I originally almost passed this up. But you know what? We are uh, needing content. I guess I'm flying through this a little too fast. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and give it to you, and we'll see what this turns into. And it says, Scooby-Doo's previous origin story was widely cosmic and, wait for it, controversial. Oh, God. Why are they making Scooby-Doo controversial? All right. Here we go, gang. It says, upcoming movie Scoob makes not only a new visual style of Scooby-Doo franchise, but also a brand new origin story for the spectacular talking mutt and his mystery-solving gang. The first trailer for the animated film tugs at the audience's heartstrings with children version of Scooby and Shaggy meeting each other for the first time, adding to the current circumstantial trend of seeing the beloved fictional characters squashed down into infant form, a la Mandarin's Baby Yoda and Spongebob movies Sponge on the Run, Young Spongebob and Gary. I haven't seen that yet. Scoob's synopsis makes it clear, however, that one individual origin story will be particularly important. Okay, interesting. And now we're going into a quote, but it doesn't say what the quote is. It says now with hundreds of cases solved and adventures shared, Scooby and the gang face their biggest, most challenging mystery ever. A plot to unleash the ghost dog service upon the world. As they race to stop this global dog, dog apocalypse, the gang discovers that Scooby has a secret legacy and an epic destiny greater than Anyone imagined? Hmm. Okay. So, okay. Well, let's keep reading and see where the controversy pops in. Phrases like secret legacy and epic destiny, as well as the mention of a ghostly version of the three-headed hound that guards the Greek underworld, kind of stuck out like a sore thumb for a property that is built... Its legacy largely on the idea that monsters and fantasies aren't actually real, but are people in costumes carrying out real estate scams. The introduction of an actual magic into Hanna-Barbera classic is actually nothing new, and neither is the idea of Scooby-Doo being far more than what he seems. More than you know, the oddity of a Great Dane that talks and behaves like a, hu- a human. Yeah, well, that's, that's Scooby-Doo. <laughs> the strongest origin to date that Scooby has been given happened in the second most recent incarnation of Scooby-Doo, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, which ran for two seasons from 2010 to 2013. The show was remarkable in the Scooby canon, for one major reason. It was the first to ditch the solely epic Monster of the Week formula using uh, used since the inception of 1969, opting to craft a closer, overarching story in between the gang's usual cases. The story took the show into J.J. Abrams' branded TV territory, circling around the conspiracy at the place called Crystal Gobe. Cove. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Um, My middle child and I, uh, Zoe, we we used to watch it. She was a baby. Uh, Well, obviously 2000. Well, she was born in 2011. So, yeah, she was a baby when we watched that. But yeah, she liked it. That's where the whole Scooby thing came from. Uh, Let's see. And the anonymous masked figure called Mr. E. Get it? As well as the hidden history of Mystery Inc a concept that has apparently repeated itself throughout time really i remember i, I get mr e but uh yeah i don't know if i ever seen it i i but yeah i did pick up you know because um you know mystery mr e i get it I, I, but yeah i don't i don't know if we actually found out who mr e was uh let's see It says, in bringing the idea of there being an original Mystery Inc. who have long since disappeared, Mystery Incorporated replicated the ways that DC Comics – Amongst other, handled the transitional period of from the golden age to the modern one, with the Justice Society of America being replaced by the Justice League. Suitably, *Mystery Incorporated* is very much a celebration of Hanna-Barbera's own wider history, pulling the legacy players from everything from Fred Flintstone to Yogi Bear, as well as the classic Scooby-Doo villain like Minor 49er and the Black Knight. Scoob looks to be taken out of the pages of the playbook, too, the, with the company's other human-dog duos, the Blue Falcon and Dino Mutt, and Dick Dastardly and presumably Muttley, also confirmed to appear in what will be the first brick in building Hanna-Barbara's cinematic universe. I am totally into that. Keep going, though. The other interesting way that Reboot stood... Out was the pop culture reference, Scooby-Doo, has a tradition uh, for crossovers matched by few other properties of the longevity icons, both real and fictional, have been teamed up with the busybody teens and their Freddy cat pet since the 1970s. While they had a passion for detective work like Batman, that's the one that I actually have that one around here somewhere and not lo- or or uh, let's see let me catch up it's uh there's a lot of them yeah that's a good one uh, sunny and share i don't know if uh you if any of my lead my listeners are old enough but you know i got you babe do 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 i got you babe if you don't know that the reference google it you'll get a laugh um more recently, the gang got to meet their rock and roll idols, Kiss, which was actually not bad. I, I saw that. I really did. Any a film that began with the establishment of the band's own Disneyland and ended with them all zooming through a Jack-Kubi, Jack Kirby Inflicted view of space on a giant guitar powered by music. The crossover into the world of supernatural even used the gang's loss of innocence after witnessing the real, yeah, witnessing the real occult terrors of San and Dean lives and the meta commentary on the property's modern shift. Safe to say, Scooby-Doo hasn't been its old meddling kid self for a number of years now. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. But you know, the the followers of the brand are older too. You know, so I, I do get the idea of a little bit more mature. Mister Incorporated used its cultural touchings points to fully integrate its franchise into the sci-fi fantasy genre, even while trying to maintain some semblance of the show's usual status quo, homaging expecting dark and adult-oriented fairs like The Shining and Nightmare on Elm Street, and even the work of more cult creators like David Lynch and H.P. Lovecraft, or H.P. Hatecraft. Uh, yeah, I remember that one. That was... Yeah. Oh, Terry, uh, my mentor, Terry D. Shearer and I, were we actually saw that one, and... and uh, he 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 didn't really care for the HP hatecraft thing, but he, he thought it was clever. Uh let's see. Harlan Ellison, the famous writer of uh, cheerful tales like I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream, was even reoccurring character. All of this served to build up for, an, for mentionable strange new origin of Scooby-Doo, which involved interdimensional shape-shifting aliens. Okay, well, I missed that part. That's right. In this continuity, (laughs) I got tongue tied. Scooby is far more average. Hamburger chomping dog. He's actually an Anakari, a race of ancient creatures who can cross into other universes and take the form of wise talking animals. Okay. God knows what that makes Scooby do. Yep, yep, yep. The first Mystery Ink gang had their own secretly alien animal sidekick in the form of the sinister bird, Professor Perkles and were tricked into liberating from the Anakuri being known only as the evil entity decades ago. The entity is a Chula inspired instrument of cosmic destruction, so naturally, the gang defeats it using the power of friendship and an ancient Egyptian spear but mainly friendship okay so despite turning the show's fundamental premiere promises on the on its head the show is well liked by a lot of fans for a high quality production, deep cuts into Greek culture and elevating a cheap Saturday morning cartoon into its own grand mythology. There have been naysayers through, naysayers though, sorry. The writer of The Guardian, Rick Pelly, bemoaned the replacement of groovy 70s camp values with real horror in tradition of half an hour escapades. The slime monsters needs to turn out to be a jaded professor, not a trans-dimension, trans-dimensional being. How are we supposed to sleep at night, Scoob? zroings Zoinks, Scoob! I, I don't do a shaggy as well as I do Scooby. Sorry. This could be a criticism leveled at Scoob by Scooby Doo Purist. Should the film follow Mr. Incorporated's mystical paw prints? Scoob stars the voice of Frank Walkler, Zach Efron, Gina Rodriguez, Will Fort, uh, Amanda Seifeld, Tracy Morgan. Oh, Tracy Morgan's hysterical. Ken Jong, he's funny too. Uh, let's see, Mark Warburg, Jason Isaac. The film arrives in theaters May fifteenth, twenty twenty. Retro raggy. <laughs> yeah, I had you. I, I, I know, I had you. I'm sorry. I just, I had to play with you a little bit about the controversy. Uh, it was nothing big. It was just, uh, yeah, I was just messing. I messed up. Actually, I think that might be the first time I've messed on this podcast. Uh, yeah, it's nothing big. I was just being silly. Um, you know, I. <sighs> for some reason with scooby-doo and mind you you know i i'll be 43 in may and um you know so i i've been i've watched all the you know the old syndicated ones back in the 80s and the 90s and and, while the 80s then the but uh was the pup named scooby-doo with the old syndicated ones from the 60s and 70s so i've watched them all i've really legitimately watched them all and In hindsight of the entire story, if you look at the entire story as a whole, I think it's progressively getting darker and more mature because of the core audience that follows it. And I kind of said this in the beginning was the core audience that follows it are getting older, darker and mature, you know, and I think that they're really not following for new people to jump in on board, I think that they're, they're more going for the people that grew up with Scooby-Doo, what the, they want. Now, I could be completely wrong, but that's just my interpretation on the situation. You know, there's there's so many different cartoons out there that, you know, if if it is not something that you want, you have the power to pick something else. For example, okay, we loved into the Spider-Verse. Uh the entire family went, we loved it and we we got to the end and we were just cracking up. You know where um Spider-Man 299 comes in and he's like, "I'm Spider-Man. No, I'm Spider-Man. I'm Spider-Man." Anyway, anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Um there see, there's a topic, there's actually this is my last topic of the night before we go into the toy of the week is it's into the Spider-Verse 2. How does Oscar Isaac's Spider-Man 2099 fit in? Well, yeah, let's find out because he was really cool to see on, you know, because, yeah, he was. He was the very first time we've ever seen 2099 that I know of uh, on screen, whether it be big or small. So I I was really legitimately excited to see, even though it was very campy at the end, that little extra, but it was, yeah, I'm rambling. The final moments of Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse hinted that the multiverse is going to be opened up to a variety of Spider-Heroes and their allies. Thanks to Spider-Man of the Year 2099, briefly appearing after the credits and played by Oscar Isaac, Miguel O'Hara might be the key to the future of the Spider-Verse. With a sequel of the 2018 smash hit in the pipeline, it's worth looking back at the history of Spider-Man 2099 to see what kind of role he could take on the ongoing franchise. Yeah. He, he had the best costume. I'm sorry. He did. I mean, I was, I was a a teenager when the whole 2099 came out. The, you know, I I just, I geeked. I really did. Um, And, you know, I'm not a a big Spider-Man fan like, say, uh, my my friend Mario Martinez, who's a big Spider-Man fan. But to be honest with you, I liked Spider-Man 2099 better than I'd like the X-Men 2099. That's just, you know, I I totally dug it. It says, Miguel O'Hara was born in... The 2099 era, long after the end of the heroic age where superheroes protected this version of the Marvel Universe. He became a head of the generic program for Alchemax. I think it's Alchemax. One of the most powerful corporations in the time period, working on an attempt to recreate the powers of Spider Man in a brief crisis of conscience over the death of the test subject lends him to try and shut down the program. But Alchemex CEO Tyler Stone, who has secretly abducted or addicted uh, Miguel to the drug known as Rapture or Rapture that's spelled wrong. It's Rapture. I remember that tried to blackmail him into continuing his work. Yeah, I remember that issue that uh, yeah. Miguel tried to rewrite his genetics to get around the addiction but in the process is sabotaged by one of his co or one of his workers. Miguel actually survives the incident and his DNA is rewritten to give him his very own variant Spider-Man powers. I remember that too. Miguel along with the help of his loyal uh AI assistant Layla Leila. Remember uh became reluctant protectors of his world seeing the effects of the role has on people in New York Miguel became a hero for the underprivileged and vowed to fight for or fight the mega corporations that run the world he became one of the definitive heroes in the 2099 era working with the the other crime fighters as the world falls apart around him, he fought alongside original Spider-Man during a time-traveling adventure where it, became, where it becomes of his actions in 2099 universe was prevented from becoming a DeFalco future of the 616 universe, which, if anybody doesn't know, 616 universe is actually the actual time stream in the comic books. That's the main time stream. Miguel even eventually proved worthy to briefly weld Thors iconic hammer. Okay. Eventually, however, Taylor Stone, who is revealed to be Miguel's real father, "I am your father," is stranded, let's see, is stranded in the present Marvel universe with Layla as his only true ally and no way to get home. Miguel committed himself to monitor Alco Alchemax which was just established by Liz Allen. Uh, He was crucial during the events of the Spider-Verse, working with Lady Spider to return his own time and analyze new ways to fight the inheritors, as well as confronting his father for trapping him in the past. Miguel drifted back and forth between the present and the future. Along the way, he even encountered his own future son, Gabri, I believe it's Gabri, G-A-B-R-I, Gabri, who would one day become Spider-Man himself. Eventually, con- or he continuously back in the present, working with Peter to prevent a darker alternate future. That's cool. Miguel appeared only briefly in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse during the post-credit sequence of the film. He's shown living in his own reality and working with his assistant, Lila. Having been monitoring the events of the film, Miguel now has a connection to the multiverse. He and Layla have been designed a means to move auto anonymously through the multiverse by using a parallel portal device. Miguel's experience with technology gives him the chance to open up the cosmos to be heroes. Miguel initially uses the device to travel across time and space, ending up in the 1960s animated Marvel, or not Marvel, Spider-Man universe. He quickly gets into the shouting match with that version of Peter and ends the film on a fantastic comedic moment it was it was i was cracking up but the potential for the device should be obvious even before he spreads into the other spider heroes this could allow him to team up with other heroes like he has peter helping alternate the future alternate the future of the multiverses he could even take on the role of billy baddock aka spider-man uk had in the original Spider-Verse event, Miles and Layla could serve as the ears and eyes of the Spider-Heroes going forward in the franchise, uh, which would be a fun command position for O'Hara take, to take over with the rest of the heroes. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. To add fuel to this theory, the final moments of the film shows Miles Morales being approached through a dimensional rift by his friend Gwen Stacy. Suggested that Miguel has been able to expand the portal tech to the rest of the multiverse. This development could further unite the spider heroes for whatever threat comes their way and into the Spider-Verse too. And then it hits us with uh, who's directing it and a whole bunch of other people. The names that I am not even going to try to pronounce. But it does say that the film is available on digital HD 4K Uh Ultra HD, Blu-ray, and DVD. The sequel is set to premiere April of 2022. All right, gang. That's that's pretty cool, I think. That's a good way to end the note. Uh, let's see. We'll jump over here. Now, anybody that knows me knows that I am a huge X-Men fan. And with Christmas coming around the corner, if anybody wants to buy me this for Christmas, I would not say no because I just love it. And what we got for this week's store story? Good gosh! I'm I'm just I need to wrap it up. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. It says this week's toy of the week is Marvel One Twelve Collective Cyclops. Yes, anybody that knows me knows that Cyclops is my absolute favorite superhero. I mean, above Batman, Superman. Uh, Thor, Iron Man, all of them. This is this guy is my favorite. I he was the actually you know what when I first started reading back in 1987, um, he I think he was an X Factor. Uh, I yeah, I'm pretty sure he was X Factor. And then I just kind of follow along. It long story. <laughs> Maybe one day I'll completely do the how I became an X Men fan. It, it's a it's a great story. Anyway, so this is a Marvel 1 12 Collective Cyclops, and it is by uh, Mezco Toys, branded by Marvel, of course. And what we got, the product description is, is, let me blow it up here because I've got crappy eyes and I can't see this far back, the... It's the one, 12 collective Mezco Cyclops features a light up optic powered function that illuminates his signature ruby quartz visors containing the uncontrollable energy blast from his eyes. The born leader and gifted hero is outfitted in an, a fibered X suit. That's awesome. With utility belt and harness and a removable leather-like jacket. The Mezco 112 Cyclops action figure comes with a complete, with the range of visor effects that light up with the effects to either head portrait, portrait reflecting his devastating mutant abilities. Scott Scott Summers, see, I like it. I'm getting excited. I want this. Scott Summers' mutant power first erupted from his eyes as an uncontrollable blast from his optic force. Rescued, rescued by Professor Xavier, he was recruited as the first member of the X-Men, a team of young mutants who trained to use their powers for the good of mutant, human, and equality. Uh, product features is he's 6.7 or 17 centimeters, centimeters tall. He's made of plastic. Uh, one 12 collective body with over 28 points of articulation. Wow. Packaged in a collector-friendly box. LED visor. Hand-painted authentic detailing. Wow. Box contents is Cyclops figure, alternate head, interchangeable hands, pair of fists, a pair of posing hands, the right combat hand, the left visor activating hand, X-Men-issued mission mission suit, Utility belt with harness, combat gloves, leather-like biker jacket with functional zipper, tactical boots, visors, standard visor, smoking FX visor, optic blast FX visor, mega optic blast visor, 112 collective display base with logo, 112 collective adjustable display post. And let's see what this is. General safety warning products sold by the BBTS may be intended for adult collectors. Uh, products may contain sharp points, small parts, choking hazards, and other elements not suitable for children under 16 years old. And it is a hundred bucks. And that I really want that. Oh my gosh. I really, really want that. In fact, I am going right over here to my bookmark, and I am bookmarking this page because I don't got nobody to buy me Christmas presents, so I will buy it myself. That makes me very happy. I want this. (laughs) I don't know how many times I've said, I want this. So, all right gang, that is it for this week. I do apologize for the grumpiness in the beginning of the episode. Like I said, you know, sometimes I can just sit down and just start talking and that grumpiness goes away. I'm I'm actually in a much better mood. I am losing my voice, but I did a back-to-back podcast, uh one for Who's the Boss and now this one, which is coming out tomorrow. So come back next week and we will do it again. I don't know. I will take a look and see what the recording schedule is and I will tell you next week if this is actually uh, if we're down the countdown to season three and my hiatus until we come back in 2020. So for this week for my public life as an American nerd, I am David K. Montoya, and as always, I bid you Adieu.